0: Welcome to the Open Apple Podcast, where we celebrate the Apple II. Whether you're a longtime user, a nostalgic visitor, or a
1: newcomer to the community, join us as we share news and memories of Steve Wozniak's most famous
0: personal computer. Hello and welcome to Open Apple. This is episode 77. I'm your host the first, Quinn Dunkey, and with me as always is co-host the second, Mike McGuinness. How are you doing, Mike? Looking fine, feeling finer. How are you, Quinn? <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, uh-huh, I am uh-huh. also good. Like that? Doing some retro computing that we'll talk about soon, I hope. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it's good. I was just uh, actually just recorded an episode of our uh, Nemesis podcast, also. So it's been interesting. Yeah.
2: Retro the rumor computer. was that you sold me out like that. I'm, I'm still not I, sure. I, well,
0: you. sold, gave. Uh, you know, <laughs> is it selling you out if I didn't get any money? Well, I just did it for the fun. <laughs> I don't know. Man, that's I guys just, just backstage around here. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's been a good retro weekend so far.
2: Good, good, good. So, what are we? Uh, what are we up to this month? I don't even know what month this is. I mean, we're recording in March, but it could be you know September before it
0: comes out. So. Yeah, we'll call it the March episode. And sure. I think uh, the topic du jour is probably going to be Infocom. I don't know why that would be. Yeah, that's weird. Um, I don't know why we talk about that. Yeah. Do we know anyone who knows Infocom stuff? Could we nope, bring them me. on the show no. or no? In fact, no. I, I
2: I try to buy Infocom titles off of eBay and just throw them out.
0: Mm, I don't yeah. like them. no, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, that's, that's fair. fair. It's that's terrible. Fair. I would never listen to a show about those games <laughs> no, either. Oh no, it'd be so boring. horrible, horrible stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this month. Everyone, thanks.
2: Uh, <laughs> we'll see you next month. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. Introduce our <laughs> guests, Mike.
2: Fine, fine. It's uh, Fake Quinn and Buatari uh, are here. They're joining us to talk about uh, Eaten by a Grew. How are you, gentlemen? <laughs> Excellent.
3: Still handsome.
2: <laughs> <laughs> mm,
0: agree to disagree. <laughs> oh,
3: no. harsh. It's
0: going to be one of those shows I can tell. Uh, oh, yeah. And this, of course, is Carrington Venston and Kevin Savitz of the Eaten by a Grew podcast, all about Infocom. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. So, whose idea was it to uh, start
2: an Infocom podcast? It was Kevin's.
3: Uh, it was all me. Yeah. So, um, why? I, why? I, I'll tell you why. I guess the idea had been percolating in the back of my mind for probably years, but, uh, it was, uh, it was November 2016, and it was a fraught time <laughs> for, uh, for me, emotionally, and a lot of people, really. Yes. And I was really honestly needed something to, uh, take my mind off the news. And like, like for four years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Give or take.
3: Yeah. And it occurred to me that I really wanted to do a, I wanted to play the Infocom games and, and that would take my mind off of things. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and it would be fun to do it as a podcast. And then it like occurred to me in a flash that if we, if I played one infocom game a month, it would last me uh about three or four years, which is exactly what I needed wow. <laughs> so kiss me mm-hmm. uh so i uh, anyway, this all happened i uh, kind of i was on a I was a passenger in a long car trip, and uh, I reached for my phone at uh ten fifty two in the morning and I said, you know I wanted to do this with Carrington, and he'd just be the he would be the the perfect uh co-host for." For this idea, and I fired him uh, off my, my my pitch, and uh, less than an hour later, he came back to me and was just like, "Yes, I'm in, let's do it." So, and that's how Eaten by Gru was born.
0: Awesome! Yeah, you sent us a screenshot of the uh, exact text message conversation where that took place, and uh, it's always nice to see the uh, the origin story of uh, such a such an important uh, event.
3: Uh, important, I don't know, but an event, an event,
0: <laughs> definitely. Generous but you know,
2: just <laughs> roll with it. Now, are you playing these in chronologically released order or random order? Mm.
1: We mm-hmm. in, during the show we actually um, will just live on air select the next game. Or in the couple of times when we've had a guest host, we let them impose one on us, as Quinn did.
0: Um, mm. <laughs> it was an imposition.
1: Yeah, but but really, we. We just have the plan that we want to play them all. Since we want to play them all, we can kind of play them in any order. Uh, and we just sort of take turns and, or just throw something out. Or we try to shake it up a bit. If we play a science fiction one, we'll try to make the next one not be sci-fi. But other than that, there really isn't a rule. We just – it's whatever the whim strikes us.
0: So – I have a two-part question. Uh, first, uh, why are you not playing these games on the preeminent Infocom platform, which would be an 80-column Apple II? Uh, second part, uh, why is your answer to the first part wrong?
1: I am playing many of these games on an 80-column Apple II. Kevin? <laughs>
3: uh, I am wrong because it <laughs> it's inconvenient to play them yes uh, on an 80-column Apple II. Uh, it's hard to get that beast into bed uh, so I can play the games before bed and that sort of thing. Um, my laptop running a Z machine emulator is a lot more convenient to, say, use in the car while I'm waiting to pick up my kid or in bed or, uh, you know, sneak in a few moments here and there. And honestly, sure. and although it may not be, you know, the authentic way to do it, the, the- One of, one of the wondrous things about this, the, the development system that Infocom created is that it is so portable. I mean, back in that time, you could play Zork on a, on a Vax or a (laughs) Atari 800 or a Apple II or weird machines that most of us has never heard of. But also you can play it on a Macintosh or a, a Linux machine today with just as easily.
0: Yeah, or in a browser or whatever, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will yeah. say uh, when you guys had me on the show there and I played Plunder Hearts with you, I also played it on my modern laptop in uh, in Zoom and uh, it was a dramatically better experience than it would have been because, yeah, I could have infinite saves and there was no waiting for disc loads or anything like that and I could copy-paste text out of the screen and, you know, there was a million tiny reasons why the modern equipment is so much more pleasant to, to play the game on. Uh, I still so, play yeah, a bunch of them on vintage hardware mostly because
1: i have a bunch of the original apple II boxes so then i get to interact with the feelies and have a more in a sense authentic experience playing the games um, but when i don't have them then i play them in emulation and honestly it's a better experience overall and i have considered occasionally like even if i have the boxed copy just use the feelies but play it on, you know, my Mac in Zoom. I uh, get, kind of get the both, best of both worlds. But I like to take the old floppies out for a spin, see if they're still working. Um, so that's really been my motivation for when I play them on the, the original hardware. It's just because I happen to have the game.
0: So you have a bunch of these games because uh, you bought them on eBay, or did you buy them for the show, or did you just happen to have a bunch? I just happen to have a bunch. Um, I used to do kind of,
1: sort of, in a sense... Still do a different Apple II podcast. Oh, of. don't act like you still
3: do <laughs> You it. need to give it up. You do not do that podcast anymore. Go.
1: And uh, some <laughs> listeners from that podcast have very nicely sent me boxes of software. A lot of times like a box will show up with a bunch of software in it, including a couple of times a bunch of Apple II software. So most of the ones I have, I got because of that and just listeners for various podcasts, some for the RCR. And then a couple of things I bought on eBay ages ago before it was super expensive to do so. So kind
0: of just
2: stumbled into them.
0: And have you found any that don't work or so far they've all worked. Weird.
2: <laughs> I seem to recall you having some um, some I guess fortuitous scores on eBay where you had like the suspended box with the mask in it. I sat on that one. Did you really? No. <laughs> yes, I don't mean did. I like
1: I sat on like I didn't get to it. I mean I literally put my bum on oh, it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I only cracked it a bit though, so it's uh-huh. all good. I, I shouldn't have nice things. <laughs>
2: well there there were like two or three of those like real special ones right there was the the suspended mask and the UFO box for starcross
3: out Cross of the UFO box yeah. yeah
1: and they're called the um the folio editions like the earliest boxes will be the folio version uh, deadline had one like a few of them uh, the, the first few came in really nice collector's boxes but they were very difficult for stores and retailers <laughs> to display um like the saucer would just roll off the shelf yeah, I've heard that. it literally would roll off the shelf <laughs> yeah, and the mask was <laughs> (laughs) Is a very large box, and so they eventually more standardized in what's called the grey box editions, and those are the ones that most people would have encountered. They're a little less collectible, but they still contain the feelies, and most Infocom games were never released in
2: a folio edition. It's really just the first handful. So how many... How many have you played total so far? i'm'm I'm, I'm not gonna lie and say that I bother to listen to your show, so I have no idea.
3: Sure. no, we wouldn't <laughs> uh, you know ask you to do that. Um. Uh, I believe we have played uh, fourteen. Well, it depends how you count. Uh, we we just recorded our sixteenth episode, uh, which was uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That was my fault? <laughs> that was your fault. <laughs> Quinn. And uh so that was our 16th episode. We had one episode where we we strayed off the track and played a non-Infocom game and we had a, yeah I know. It's a great game. Uh, though. And we had and we had another episode where we played an Infocom game called Fublitsky, which is not a, actually a uh a text adventure. Uh it was a board game that the company oh. produced. So I don't know if you want to count that or not. So uh yeah, basically we played Um, 15 Infocom games so far. There there were, I believe, 35 canonical, uh, I'm putting that in air quotes if you couldn't hear that, uh, canonical Infocom text adventure games, um, uh, including actually a couple of graphical adventures. So at one a month, that will uh, take us another couple of years to finish those off. They also created a few completely different non-adventury things uh they did a couple uh, a short series of non-interactive fiction as like a uh comic book style software uh and famously they did a database software package called Cornerstone um and they did a few other little weird things like that. Carrington and I are talking about uh pitching a talk for the next uh, Kansas Fest where we discuss the non-interactive fiction Infocom titles.
0: Well, you, uh, you just stole my joke. I, I, yeah, I was just going to ask when you guys are going to play Cornerstone on the show.
3: Yeah, That's going to be the last thing we yeah. play, actually. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and sort of, a, yeah, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Marr over at the Digital Antiquarian has talked about that a lot, that uh, Cornerstone is, in fact, the company's raison d'etre, and the reason it's called Infocom, which is not at all sound like a game company. Uh, but, yeah, it took them so many years to get the thing done, and it never succeeded, and the games ended up being what uh, what all their money came from.
3: Yeah, and I believe Cornerstone is, is kind of known as the thing that killed the company. Mm-hmm. It just took so much time, so much resources yeah. that uh, that was it.
0: Yeah, it was their Lisa, except there was no Mac after it, <laughs> and no Apple II to <laughs> right. float it.
3: Right, right.
0: So you're, you're going to play the entire spectrum, though,
2: of all of these games, including, like, the Journey and the, the later graphical ones?
3: I hope to play them all.
2: Our plans are
1: incredibly vague. Uh, Kevin said, you want to play Infocom games? I said, great. We started a podcast. We're, we're completely making up as we go. F- from episode one, people have been writing in saying, what will you play after the Infocom games? I'm like, really? Really? We've got three years of these in front of us. You can't wait a bit. Um, but immediately, some of our initial and now continuing feedback is always, what will you do after those? Uh, mm-hmm. I guess people are already bored with them.
0: <laughs> people may really not realize how, how many there actually are, because <laughs> most people know like one or two that they saw as children, and maybe they assume there was a two or three or four more that they didn't see.
3: But people, maybe that's it. Yeah, I don't
0: think I don't know if people realize that there's thirty five of them.
3: And just to, to answer the question, because people keep answering it, we don't know what we're going to do. We might finish the thirty five episodes, do Cornerstone, and then shut it down and go. You know what? Mission accomplished you know, and go on other things. Or maybe we're having fun with it and we decide to do C- the Sierra games or we do Scott Adams or who, who knows. Okay, you heard it but, here uh, first, folks.
2: They're going to play Sierra <laughs> next and then Scott Adams after that. There I you didn't go.
3: say that. Didn't say that. So it's going to
2: take us three years.
0: No one's been my friend for that long as a <laughs> contiguous period. So eh. It's true. We're only friends because I only see you for like a one week a year, so that uh- – that's kept it going. It is an important way to to, to take your Carrington in, in yeah, small, small doses. Small doses, yeah. So has there been a game that like what I guess what game surprised you the most? Like either you thought it was going to be terrible and it was great, or vice versa, or it wasn't at all what you remembered, or I most of them I haven't found to be terrible. I think Sea
1: Stalker is kind of mm-hmm. the one we were least keen on uh after having played it. I think Kevin would say it was awful. I'd say it's only okay. Um I I thought that the Sherlock game would be great, and it was. <laughs> so,
3: oh, I hate that. That's the one I think we have the most diverse opinions about it. I, I I have about it. I had no, I have no interest or just background with Sherlock Holmes going into it. So the game held nothing for me, and I didn't enjoy it at all. But Carrington loved it, and he loved Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes, and went in so.
0: Yeah, I thought that that actually yeah. that episode was an interesting case study in the power of fandom. You know, you both played the same game, but his love of Sherlock Holmes was able to sort of overlook a lot of the issues that, that you weren't. Have there been any um, particularly
2: challenging ones that are ones where you thought it was going to be easy and that you just couldn't get past that one puzzle oh without God. cheating? Oh, they're
3: so hard. I, I've i cheated on <laughs> – Carrington's a better person than I am. We'll put it that way. He's, he's gotten through several – Without cheating, a, um, a
1: couple and- without cheating, not several, but yeah, <laughs> a few of them lately I've been able to to muddle through because we only record basically once a month, and given a month I can finish the games. Uh, but anything with Zork in the name is incredibly difficult. Zork is a word that means this is hard.
4: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> is that what it means? Yep.
3: Yeah, I I so I I've cheated. At least had to look up a, l- a little bit on on all of them. Um, some of them I had to like really cheat, cheat, cheaty McCheater pants, um, <laughs> and others it was just like I needed you know a little clue here and there. So, and the Invisi Clues that they published back then, which are are still available online, make it super. Uh, they're super helpful in that regard. In in that, uh, if you need a little he- a little help, it gives you a little help, just like. Just a little bit. And then, and you could, if that's not enough, you can ask for a little more until eventually, you know, by the tenth clue, it's like, you know pick up the duck and give it to the badger or whatever it is <laughs> just in,
0: type this
1: but. back in the day <laughs> yeah, i never yeah. <laughs> had the invisiclues so um using those and referring to them is something that's new for me for uh, since we've been doing the podcast and it is an incredibly good format for doling out hints in dribs and drabs it is so much better than most other hint systems i've seen i have been very impressed with the info, uh, with the invisiclues format
0: yeah, I, I had never encountered them until we played Plundered Hearts together. And that was my experience too. Like I was used to like other types of games where you'll have a walkthrough and you sort of have to try and read just up to the part where you are and not see anything after that. And it's really hard to get just mm-hmm. the information that you want. Uh so yeah, they're they're great for that. And then I feel like they're almost more relevant as adults because, you know, when you were a teenager or whatever, you had infinite time. So you didn't really need hints because you could compensate with time, but you know, when we played Plundered Hearts, I had like three afternoons that I could dedicate to this, and it, I had to finish it in that amount of time. And so the hints allowed me allowed me to do that.
2: Now, are you using actual paper books in the highlighter, or is there an online type system that sort of simulates the Invisi Clues?
3: <laughs> there's uh, there's some websites that basically someone transcribed the Invisi Clues and used a little bit of okay. HTML fun to just click a link to, to see the see the next one. Um, I believe that if you have the original if you happen to have an Invisiclu's book that hasn't already been uh uh revealed, I, I don't think they work anymore. I could be wrong, but I think I heard someone say that it's just with with age, uh the the pens have dried up and uh it's, they're no good anymore, so their secrets will remain a mystery forever.
2: Well, I, I just I asked because I know that uh, Carrington likes to open unopened things and spoil stuff that's worth <laughs> money. So, and I think those books are probably worth something. So I figured Carrington was sitting on a pile of them, laughing. Ah, I'm ruining them. <laughs> yeah.
0: Literally, I, I say would one ruin them. Him,
2: yes, I would <laughs> gladly
1: do that. <laughs> have I
2: opened any for our show that were new? I guess the
1: um, I guess uh, uh, one of them, the the mask one. I guess
0: suspended suspended yeah,
1: suspended. yeah that Suspected. that one had yeah. been sealed so i opened that one up but i think that's the only one that i've actually de shrink wrapped so far i've got a couple of other ones that are sealed so i will eventually open
0: more of them y- you opened it and then sat on it let's just be clear on I that i sat <laughs> on it then i opened yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> oh okay so that was the order okay good yes <laughs> let the record show
2: so understanding that you're only halfway through uh do you have any favorites so far wait are we halfway through
3: no, we're about, about a third? third through. I was like,
1: "Oh my goodness, this is going fast." <laughs>
3: yeah, well, if you've, uh,
0: more than yeah, more than a third,
3: 12, 24th, more than a third, not quite my a half. Oh my goodness! Day. Wow. Um, see, looking back at the list of what we've played, I really liked Zork 2. Um, I liked it more than Zork One. I I really like. There's, there's a couple of the puzzles in there that that really, I don't know, I that there were pretty sweet. And uh, I enjoy the, uh, the the two Enchanter games with the spells that you can cast. And I'm really looking forward to the, the third one. Enchanter uh, and uh, Sorcerer. So those are probably, at this moment, what Peaks my, my joy. My,
1: my favorite one we've played so far, I think would be Trinity. Uh, Ballyhoo, I found hilarious. Um, and, and I liked Starcross more for its ideas than, than kind of the plot in it. Uh, we just played Hitchhikers, which I adored. I was surprised how much I liked it. Uh, but I think overall, Trinity is, is still my favorite. Yep. Actually, there, we're, we're scooping, (laughs) scooping my groups. We haven't released (laughs) that episode yet. Probably come out later today. And I will say that I adored Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I was surprised how much I loved it. Loved it, um, but Trinity probably is still my favorite of the ones we have played so far.
0: Well, our show is going to come out after yours, so it won't be a scoop. <laughs> but uh, I have to know was was did you find Hitchhikers frustratingly difficult? Because I mean, that game is notorious for the arbitrary and pointlessly difficult puzzles, like you know, feeding the Punishing. dog and so on.
1: It's the dog. Totally, the dog. I thought I I mm. went in knowing vaguely there was a thing about getting a Babelfish in your ear. That's supposed to be a famously difficult, hard problem. It is not hard at all. The game basically just walks you through it. Uh, it's it's really not a difficult puzzle. But there's this bit with a dog, something you have to kind of do at the very well. I thought you had to do at the very beginning. Um, at the very well, at the end of the game, I realized I should have done something at the very beginning of the game. And I I think, or I thought at the time, I've put myself in an unplayable state. I see why this game is, is so notoriously terrible. I started again. Turns out I didn't need to do that. You can actually solve the dog in a couple of ways, including at the end. Uh, I am not a smart person. Uh, but even with that, I found it. I, I'm a huge Douglas Adams fan, so maybe it's another fandom thing. You know, I love Sherlock Holmes, and so therefore I like the Sherlock Holmes game. I love Hitchhikers and everything to do with that world. And I loved the game as well. It was like getting brand new Douglas Adams stuff in 2018. So it was a real treat. How about you,
3: Kevin? I had I had played that game when it came out, so I was, I don't know, twelve or thirteen or fourteen years old, whatever it was. Um, and I needed help at the time, and I remember my mom took me to bookstore to, to get the uh Invisiklo's book. When I replayed it in 2018, I knocked it out in a weekend. It was not I, I had these neurons that had not been activated for a very long time that were just like, oh yeah, I, I know I know how to do this. Um so I didn't have to cheat, except for the dog. Hmm. That dog thing was just terrible, and uh, I think I, if I, I suppress those memories. It was, it was too painful, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, that that is very interesting. I wonder if the game's reputation is somewhat undeserved. Then maybe people remember it as being more unfair than it was, just because we were we were young. I think a lot of people played it like. When when the earlier games came out,
1: like Zork would come out, it probably appealed to a lot of people who liked this kind of game. They went into it knowing what interactive fiction was. They maybe played Zork on a mainframe. It's a notoriously, infamously, famously difficult game. People knew what they were getting. Kind of that's the value for money proposition. Hitchhikers was, I think, widely known as a property outside of maybe just text adventure circles. So maybe a big percentage of people who picked up the game were just you know casual gamers or just liked other sorts of games saying, oh, Hitchhikers, that's really funny, and I will enjoy playing this. And then they got hit with a relatively difficult text adventure game. Um, and if it was your first one you ever played, I think it would destroy you. So that might have also given it that air of incredible difficulty.
3: I think that, and I've been meaning to ask Carrington about this. Well, I guess we'll do it now. I think that the game's are getting easier as we learn how these people think.
1: Yep. I think if we had played Hitchhikers as the first or second game rather than the 16th or 15th or however you want to count them, um, yeah. I, I would not have been able to complete it. It took it took me weeks, but I was able to do it without cheating. And there's no way I could have done that without cheating without having already, you know, just played a dozen other ones.
0: Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah I was gonna ask if there's a if there's patterns or if if you can kind of get into the the imps' heads a little bit?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I think so. And you lo- you have to look for just, you start to just look f- for non-obvious things and you kind of know where to look for non-obvious things. So. And sometimes they're still not obvious, even if you know where to look.
0: <laughs> and uh, are you drawing maps or are you using some kind of mapping software? I map. Old, I
3: do maps on paper. Yep, maps on yeah, paper. On paper.
0: A, a lot of times mm-hmm. you
1: don't have to map. Hitchhikers, I mapped almost after the fact. There, it's some of the games have relatively few locations, and the way Hitchhikers plays is it's kind of in hubs. There's like three main locations, and you jump off from those into tiny little areas that will just have a couple of rooms. So it's really easy to keep it in your head. And some other games like like Ballyhoo have relatively small maps. You could just kind of walk through them in your head kind of easily. Um, some games are more difficult uh, and I, I had to you know map them all out and and do a couple of iterations of maps. Um, but like Kevin, I, I do them old school, just a uh, pencil and paper.
0: Do you, do you get better at doing that? Cause I always had this problem and I was reminded of that when Plunder Tarts <laughs> of uh, I would get halfway into drawing the map and, you know, paint myself into a corner where then I had to start drawing crazy lines to connect things and then the whole thing just became an unintelligible mess and I basically needed to sort of refactor it. Do you get better at that or what's your strategy there?
1: My personal strategy is I begin a map in the middle of paper because I don't know whether the, this room starts at the bottom or the top or what have you. And inevitably, I will go over to another sheet, and I'll just draw a line that draws a line over to the other page, and I just keep all my maps cover at least two sheets. I don't.
3: Yeah. What Carrington said, except except I start in the middle of a giant sheet of butcher paper. <laughs> that well, <laughs> Interesting. I don't. Oh, but, okay. but no, I don't. But, but that would that would be funny. Um, yeah, uh, some of the mazes, some of the maps are more difficult than others. And occasionally, especially, I think, in the earlier games, it's like you could go to go from the, the the kitchen to the dining room. It was south, but to get back from the dining room to the kitchen, you have to go northeast. Mm-hmm. And that sort of stuff drives me nuts yeah. and makes a map very difficult. Yeah. And I think they realized that that was terrible and tend to do that less in later games. Yeah,
2: mazes suck. Twisty little passages and all that. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So we've got, you So you said you're, what, 17, 15 into the process at this point? Roughly. That's right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I just went blank on what I was going to ask you. Quinn
0: vamp Well, I think. <laughs> so how many of the games have you played on actual retro hardware?
3: Uh, I haven't played any on actual retro hardware. Um, I've played a couple of them. On an Atari 800 emulator or an Apple II emulator on my Mac. And then I just switched to doing most everything on Zoom.
1: Yeah. If you're not going to play it on vintage hardware, it kind of makes no sense to do it through a vintage hardware emulator. Cause like it's <laughs> just a better experience than something like Zoom. I think I've played five or six of them as in, in boxed versions, like Ballyhoo was, Trinity, Deadline, Border Zone, um, Zork 2, but not Zork 1. I think uh, Hitchhikers, a bunch of them.
2: Do you spend any time uh, on on the episodes talking about, like, I don't know, the development behind a game or Steve Moretzky or something like that? Or is it just like, let's dive in and play? Uh,
3: I think Carrington and I are both pretty lazy and uh, (laughs) do minimal research. (laughs) we're going to be brutally honest.
2: Yeah, the
1: first couple of episodes, if you listen to episodes one or two, uh, and if you even look at the show notes, we talk a little bit in the periphery about more text adventure-related news or some other things. But it very quickly settled down to, you know, we're going to play a game, we're going to talk about a game. So it's mostly a review thing, and only if something is obvious or jumped out or something, but we did neither of us do a lot of research. One of the things we do though is we have what we call a spoiler fence and we did that from, from episode one. We just kind of decided to do this where the first part of the episode we talk without spoilers so if you're vaguely interested in playing suspended say you can listen to our episode about suspended and there will be no spoilers we'll just talk about the game in general terms we'll talk about our impression we'll talk about some things about the game talk about the box and the feelies and that sort of stuff but then it will come to a point where we say okay now we're going to begin the spoilers we call it crossing the spoiler fence and only after that do we then talk about specific solutions to puzzles, uh, or the things that might wreck a game for you. And we're very clear about that in every episode. So it's it's safe to listen to an episode if you haven't yet played the game.
0: And do you get feedback from that from users? Like, are people grateful that you do it that way? or We get a lot of feedback well, from people who say they only listen yeah. to the first half of our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and is it because of the spoiler fence, or is yep. it because you're terrible? Uh, 50-50. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, That's fair. <laughs> Yeah, I I will say actually, I did it on uh, Thimbleweed Park, uh, the the one ironically non Infocom game that you played. I listened uh, up to the spoiler fence and decided, okay, this sounds great. I want to play this, and then I shut it off and came back and listened to the rest later. So it does work for me too.
2: Nice. So I know that uh, it's probably impossible to like give an average game time, like time played per game, but um, give me an average game time per game, Mm. (laughs) guys.
3: <laughs> I, I'm glad I don't know. You know, on uh, Thimbleweed Park, uh, uh, is on Steam, and one of the features of Steam is it tells you how long you played a game. You know, you could go to the main menu and it said, you know, and after Thimbleweed Park, it, I don't, I don't remember. I'm making this number up, but it was just like, you know, you've been playing this game for 50 hours. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God, you know, whatever it was. And the Zoom doesn't do that. Infocom titles don't do that. And it's probably for the best, because if I knew how much time I had invested in you know getting past the the evil vampire guy in Zork 2 or something, I probably wouldn't come back for Zork 3. <laughs> so.
0: Well I guess kind of like we were saying, na- the nice thing about nowadays is having access to all of the information about the games is you can kind of set your schedule, right? I mean, in the old days you would just get stuck for weeks and weeks at a time on a specific problem and it could be open-ended yeah. and maybe you would give up. But you know nowadays you can just, you know, pull out a hint. Do you have a do you have a like a system or a pattern for when you decide to go in for the the hints? I only
1: do it when I get completely stuck. Now, the last couple of games I've been able to do without hints. I I I went for the hints really quickly in our first few games. Like when it came to Zork, as soon as I got stuck even a little bit, I just went for hints. Um, as I've been playing more and more of the games, I need fewer hints, but also. I stick with the puzzle longer. I was stuck for days on a couple of puzzles in, in Sorcerer, in, in Hitchhikers, suspended all of them. Uh, just, I would sit and play a game for, you know, three, four hours one evening beating my head against a particular puzzle and not solve it and then the next day just come back to it. And I never would have done that in the earliest ones. Um but I've learned that it's so much more rewarding to solve the the puzzle. Like even if the solution isn't a great one, to have solved it myself feels so much better than having gotten a hint. And so I've learned that I just prefer to you know just beat against the wall until I, <laughs> till I stumble on a solution, I'll still feel better about the game. So, and since I'm not doing this by court order, I'm doing it just to have fun. <laughs> I'm you know, unlike a lot of things in my life.
0: <laughs> so I just, hurt. I
1: try to stick with it now and, and it's much more rewarding. So I've actually, as we, as we go into the, the, the games, I'm in a sense, enjoying them more because I'm just giving myself that, you know,
0: think about it a long time experience and it's really rewarding. So when you do use a hint do you feel guilty about it or do you feel I feel stupid. Re- it's not always just
1: having- no, the hint every time I'm like, "Oh, I should have thought of that." Like every time. So getting
0: the hint is not a fun experience. But some of them some of the puzzles must be unfair, right? And you must be like, "Oh, I'm glad I glad I did that and didn't beat oh, my hint." Oh,
3: so many of them are unfair. <laughs> the people who created these games are evil. <laughs> Brilliant but evil. No, some of them are really unfair. But not often, Um, you know, but sometimes you're just like, come on, guys.
1: From the beginning, Kevin and I, after the spoiler fencing episodes, would talk about specific puzzles and a lot of times group them not in good and bad, but in a sense, fair versus unfair. Like, very early, Kevin started having a list of unfair things in the game. (laughs) So, again, I think that started from, like, episode one.
3: But I don't think we've done that lately. It's like some of the games, we've done that, but – not often. I mean, it's happened a few times for sure. Late,
1: mo- more recent games, other than Hitchhikers, have been easier though. Plundered Hearts was one of the easier games. Sorcerer was one of the yeah. easier games. So mm-hmm. I think that's also helped. The last couple of months, we've been you know playing easier games.
2: Do any uh, do any puzzles immediately pop to to mind when you think about the particularly unfair or the ones that were just better than you?
1: Huh. Well, there's <laughs> the we, we just talked about the doll. I'm trying not to be. Sp- too spoilery, right? So,
2: kind of <laughs> right. grain in not you can be as, spoilery as you want. <laughs> uh,
1: but there is a puzzle to do with the dog in Hitchhikers, the one we just did, and that was very difficult and made me restart the game unnecessarily. So, in a sense, that could be unfair. Uh, that that's a game that breaks the fourth wall a lot as well. Like it, it's a game that knows it's a game in a sense. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's a game where the parser. Um, uh, gets mad at you. If you go to a place that it doesn't want you to go, it gets all in a huff about it and won't help you for a bit. And, uh, it's also a, it's a parser that lies. It'll say there's an exit to port. So you said go port. It'll say there's, there's no exit there. It said port. There's no exit there. It's funny you go south. Ah, I was just kidding. There, there's no exit to the port. I was lying to you. Like, what? So that kind of thing. Is that fair or is that unfair? Is it just funny? I don't know. Just, the game is the game.
3: Yeah. Um, mazes are my thing. I, I, have no patience for mazes <laughs> i don't um i don't enjoy them and actually there was the exception as the maze in zork 2 i actually liked quite a bit but if it's just a maze for a maze sake i i will just log on find the map and just cheat my way through that maze because life is too short and it maybe it used to be fun but it's for certain people in the 1970s, but it's not fun anymore.
0: Yeah, that, that sort of gets at the crux of my question originally, which was, I guess, I was wondering how that ages because I think a lot of these games from the early 80s they were intentionally incredibly, incredibly hard because they didn't have enough space to make the games big, so people needed to get their you know 50, 60 hours of gameplay out of it, and so they made them incredibly right. hard. But sure. how does that translate? I mean, these games
3: were now these games were expensive, yeah. and you know whatever it was 30 or 40 dollars in 1980s dollars that's what 80 90 100 dollars today and people wanted I, I guess play value out of these things and one of the ways they could do that was by making you play it when you weren't playing it you know you're whatever sitting at work or on the on the L train or whatever thinking about how, how do i get that fish in my ear you know and and, and think of something and just like, Wanting to rush home to uh to to try out your new theory,
0: and is that still effective today, or is it just frustrating because you're an adult?
1: Still, who
3: no, it still works, but it's just I have less time because I'm an yeah. adult. Right.
1: We've talked about that on air that um, we kind of wish games, including these games, had uh, an adult mode, like easy, <laughs> hard, adult. Which is no, I I want the game, but just I really only have 15 hours to play. Yeah. Give me that version, <laughs> and that will give me my money's worth. Really, that's I'm- all I want.
0: I'm smart, but I'm busy and I have money to spare. So (laughs) make it short. (laughs) But these games do stick with me. I do find that I'll be at work or I'll be doing other things.
1: And whatever puzzle I'm currently working on will be in the back of my mind. And so I will come home fresh with some ideas to attempt in the game. And so unlike a lot of games, these are things that are playing in the back of my mind throughout the day.
0: Yeah, I distinctly remember that from back then that, you know, a bunch of us in school played hitchhikers. And yeah, we would talk about it at school like all day, you know, how or, about how to get through a particular problem because we'd all be stuck in the same places. And yeah, so in a sense, they were sort of solved collaboratively, uh, the ones that we did solve. Do you uh, Similar to that, do you guys have anyone that you can talk to about these games if you're stuck besides each other?
3: I think that's where it's different. Now, because I don't have anybody I can talk to about these games. Carrington and I don't talk between episodes. Um, so it's, yeah, we don't, I mean, he would be the perfect person to go like, wow, I can't get past the whatever it is. And I got no, but we don't do that because we want to come into each episode, I think, uh, with our own, our own fresh ideas and, and not homogenize each other's ideas with, so, um, so, no, I, I got nobody I, except for my, my friend, the invisi online. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and same with me. Uh, the people in my life – um, don't take any pity on me that I will want to talk about the info <laughs> game I'm currently playing. They say, well, if it's hard, just go look up the solution. They're like, whatever. So I have nobody who wants to talk about this stuff with me. Um, the first time I get to speak about a game is when I record it with Kevin. Uh, and then I'll find out what he thought, uh, but there's no help with the puzzles. It, you're just completely on your own. And the game we're playing next is a, is a particularly difficult one I'm finding so far. I am currently stuck and making no progress at all. So and I have no one to talk about it with.
3: Well, well I haven't <laughs> even loaded it up yet, so uh, you're ahead of me.
0: brace yourself.
3: <laughs> oh, great.
0: So well, what you guys are doing has a, a large amount of overlap with the Digital Antiquarium blog. I mean, I think he's probably done a post about almost every game you play. Do you ever read his posts before or after, or do you find like do you avoid them because they would spoil things, or is there any relationship there? After. I read it every time,
1: mostly, but always after. I try to read nothing about the game ahead of time until until I'm done playing.
3: I sometimes I, I will read it after I've played, and sometimes before we record, but sometimes after we record because I find when I read it before we record, Jimmy Marr, his his ideas and thoughts are so wonderful mm-hmm. that I can't not. Take his ideas and go, oh yeah, and then like, repeat them yeah. as my own, which they're not. Uh, so but he he is just brilliant and, and I after I play a game, I whether whether it's before or after we record the episode, I'd love to to see what, what he had to say about the game.
1: Yeah, I too try to always do it after we record. That's one source I, I don't even want to look ahead of time because he'll he'll just influence me too much. <laughs>
0: Interesting. Yeah, he has tremendous insight on these games and a real sense of game design. So, yeah, that's okay. That's interesting. So, are there uh, any particular titles that
2: you are especially looking forward to that you haven't played yet?
3: Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, replaying A Mind Forever Voyaging. Mm,
2: My favorite Infocom game.
3: Um, I won that in a contest from Infocom when I was a kid. Um and got through it quickly and thought I was, you know, pretty smarty pants and didn't realize till years later that it's like the one Infocom game that's all story, no puzzle. And that's how I got through it so fast. And I think I might have gone, I don't know, gone through it faster than I needed to, because I thought I was completing it fast. But what I think I might have missed out on some of the intricacies of the story. So I'm, I'm uh, interested in revisiting that one.
2: Okay, so I can't just let this go by. How did you win that from, from Infocom?
3: Uh, so, okay, so my I talk about this in my book, Terrible Nerd, which is available on Amazon.com. Um, <laughs> plug, 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 plug. plug. Uh, cut, all right, cut. so <laughs> in- <laughs> Infocom had an envelope design contest where they – uh, invited people to submit art, which would be uh, which would appear on the envelopes of the newsletter that they they sent out um, I had absolutely no artistic ability, but my stepfather did uh, he was a professional artist and so I went to him with a list. I'm just like, okay, look, I, I want you to draw a cartoon for me. Uh, it's, it's going to be uh, a man in a dressing gown and there's a spaceship behind him and he's going to have a toothbrush and a, a spanner and a, you know, a, li- a list of things that were, that were in the Hitchhiker's game. Um, and he came back to me a day or two later with a beautiful, uh, drawing and, he signed my name to it, and then I submitted it to Infocom, and uh, it was one of the the winners of the the envelope art contest. And eventually, indeed, you know, like a year later, I got an episode. Uh, I got a, a newsletter in the mail that had my. Uh, my, my, in air quotes again, uh, piece of art on it. And as part of that, they sent me, uh, they said I could pick a, get any game I wanted for free. Wow. And Mind Forever Voyaging had just come out and that's the one I requested.
2: Cool. So Carrington, what about you? What are you uh, looking forward to playing next? Uh, my favorite for voyaging, definitely. But um, the
1: lurking horror is one I have always wanted to play. And I can't wait for us to get to that. There's a couple of I think funny ones that I haven't played: uh, Planet Fall and Station Fall. So we haven't done either of those. I'm looking forward to those a lot. Um, and there's I don't know if it's an obscure one, but nobody seems to talk about it much. But, but there's one called Hollywood Hijinks that I've always wanted to play. So I think that's another one that's high on my list that I'm looking forward to.
2: Well, Quinn, do you have any uh, parting questions for our guests?
0: Uh, no, I'm looking for any way to get them out of here as quickly as possible. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Me, too, me too. Yeah, this is uh, this is going on uh, way too long. I think. <laughs> You're <laughs> telling me. No, oh, wow. reversal. Two points.
2: <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And um, we look forward to, well, who am I kidding? I'm not going to listen, but I'm sure there are people out there who are looking forward to <laughs> I will be listening. <laughs> I love the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll well, end on so a high yeah. note. Thanks. Uh, thanks. We really appreciate the time.
3: Sure. This is fun.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it. What are you guys doing?
4: It's Friday night. That means Chinese food and vintage video games, right?
2: Vintage doesn't
4: even begin to describe what we have planned. Tonight, we are playing the classic 1980 interactive text adventure, Zork. Zork. <laughs> It's the buggy beta version.
2: Wow, Zork.
4: Well, you guys have fun.
2: Yeah. All right, Quinn. Um, let's talk some news. Do you want? Yeah. To- yeah. I think awesome. we have a bumper, don't we? Um, hit it.
1: It may be old, but there's still news. Apple II news.
0: First up, uh, looks like we got a book about role-playing games. Yeah, the uh, CRPGPQFWX.
2: <laughs> it's the Computer Role-Playing Game Book Project. It's the history of computer role-playing games. Um, it is looks like this book is continually being written and updated. But the best part of all is that it's absolutely free. You can go download an EPUB or PDF, whatever your favorite format is, and read it. It's, I think, a few hundred pages at this point. Um, and it looks like a fairly thorough, um, endeavor. Uh, very, uh, very well done. And of course, if you want a paper copy, you can either print your own, or I think that it looks like, um, the latest update on their website says that, uh, they've signed a deal for a limited print, uh, hardco- hardcover, hardcover a version of the book. That'll probably cost you a little bit, um, but uh, it's cool. Yeah, you should check this out.
0: Yeah, it's uh, It looks beautiful. The screenshots, all lots of color and everything, and all different platforms, not just Apple II stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. yep. It looks like he's covering a wide range of eras, like from you know the early 80s all the way up to pretty modern stuff, so it's definitely thorough. Uh, yeah, it looks like if I read this right, there won't be any uh, updates as part of, any further updates as part of his hardcover book deal, so I don't know if they will resume uh, the free online version after that or, or what. But, uh, uh, yeah, it looks like a good, a good buy. Yeah. Um, like you said, definitely
2: covers more than just the Apple II stuff. Um, but uh, if you're – certainly for anyone who's interested in researching uh, history, this is a, a valuable resource. Yeah. Yeah. Sort
0: of related side note: uh, If you're interested in the early Apple II RPGs, especially Ultimas, uh, it's worth following uh, Richard Garriott on uh, Twitter. There's uh, <laughs> people people tweeted him all the time and share their stories of Ultima, and uh, it's surprisingly delightful to uh, to follow him and see that stuff. So indeed. Uh, all right. Uh, it's, well, we're, it's it wouldn't be a show if we didn't talk about Kansas Fest. Uh, <laughs> so the uh, keynote speaker for 2018 was announced, and uh, looks like it's none other than Roger Wagner. Right. Yeah, we just had
2: uh, Ken and Andy on. Um, uh, we'll call it last month uh, to talk about Juice GS and uh, his um, and some of uh, his. Um, wait, that wasn't
0: Roger, was it? Was Roger the one that did did the um, Orca stuff? Uh, no, he did the assembly. Uh, the assembly lines uh, okay. columns. Forget all of that that I just said about this. Yes, <laughs> a uh, point. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Roger Wagner, of course, has been uh, heavily involved in the Apple II community going way back. He's published a ton of software. Um, been involved in probably most, if not all, the major magazines that were published back then. Um, he, I know, was involved in uh, you know managing the early Kansas Fests. Um, he's oh, and he's even been working with uh, our friend. Um, Chris Torrance uh, to get some of that stuff republished. Um, And I know that uh, I, for one, am looking forward to hearing this keynote that he's going to be giving.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, Chris Torrance's re-edit of Assembly Lines, uh, the Assembly Lines columns that he wrote back in the day, were sort of my reintroduction to uh, retro programming. So uh, yeah, that was, it's still, I think that book is still the best way if someone wants to learn 6502 on the Apple II to, to, to get into it. It's uh, It walks you through everything that you want to know from from first principles. So it's a great read. He's got a, a, a great, manner for teaching
2: these, these lessons. And so it's not just dry, like trying to figure out why I got this binary edition yeah. uh, question wrong um, and, and no real hints. It's, it's actually you're working towards a goal and it's, it's a sort of a friendly casual style of, Teaching what you learn is some important stuff, and I think it's a really valuable, yeah, like you said, resource for anyone who's wanting to learn assembly language. They point out um, – the the announcement over on a 2 points out that this will be Roger's third keynote uh, speech at, at Kansas Fest. Uh, but the first one – or his last appearance, though, was 23 years ago. So <laughs> he's probably got some
0: new perspectives and stories to tell, and you should definitely check it out. Yeah, it's funny. His last experience would have been when K Fest was sort of still a current thing, <laughs> instead of right. kind of a looking back thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. When you were uh, still wondering if you know the Apple reps
2: were going to show up with what we do this <laughs> yeah, year. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm
2: enthused and excited for that.
0: Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, all right. Uh, next up, we've got WazFest number nine has been announced
2: yeah this is the d b nine connector it is is their their um whimsical little uh numbering edition uh this will happen saturday april uh twenty eighth uh it starts around noon sydney time i'm sure that we will not have this episode published by then but that's okay uh <laughs> What you're not going to laugh at that,
0: Quinn? <laughs> uh, I, I was going to let it go, but if you want to draw attention to it, sure, I'll laugh. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Our schedule's been a little fantastic lately, but yeah. you know yeah, we're, we're trying to get on back it. on track. Yeah. Um,
2: anyway, that uh, looks like a, a a huge amount of fun. If you're going to be spending time in that part of the world in late April, you should probably go.
0: Yeah, I need to take a little sidebar here, though. Uh, hey, he was fast It's me, Quinn. Um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of your numbering scheme, and uh, I never should have doubted that you would continue to find new whimsical ways to uh, indicate your numbers, uh, but I, gosh, you, you almost nailed it with this one, uh, but DB9 is not what the connector is called. It's actually the DE9, and that's a really common mistake. Uh, b is the size of the shell, and uh, the shell, the b size shell is more like what you would see on a disk connector or a video port. Uh, That really, the small one that we're used to seeing on like VGA and joystick connectors is actually the E size, so it's actually a DE9. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, great conference. Everyone should go. That's all.
2: (laughs) So I have a thought about what Quinn just said. Um, (laughs) The first is that I will be uh, uh, looping some, you know, gentle, sad piano music behind it. (laughs) The first part of it while she's talking, and then I'm going to end it with a wah, wah sound. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah, that's going to happen. Uh, anyway, the, uh, the theme for DE9 or DB9 um, <laughs> is uh, communications, serial networked, wireless, and wired. So I would expect things like the Ethernet card to be there and probably uh, demoed along with all the other neat stuff that's out there, the Wi-Fi 232 or whatever they are calling the Wi-Modem 232, Telnet 65, all that great stuff. So whether, we're, whether they name it right or not <laughs> – <laughs> um, I, I'm going to sit back and enjoy the nerd fight email train, chain. That the uh, oh that was, yeah, that's... we will
0: get email for that.
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, this should be good.
0: <laughs> and I think I'm sure I have misnamed n- n- it as well <laughs> my entire life. So yeah. All right, moving right along. Uh, <laughs> next mm-hmm. up. Uh, so this has made the rounds, but uh, we should mention it here. Uh, everyone's favorite. Uh, Internet Archive promoter Jason Scott uh, did the awesome BBS documentary series, which uh, I am the proud owner and many-time watcher of. And uh, he's gone ahead and put up uh, the all of the interview footage. So if you've ever wondered how much footage is really shot for a documentary, it's probably twenty times what you saw in you know in the final edit. So uh, in this case, it's two hundred and fifty plus hours uh, of interviews, and it's all up on archive.org. And you know it's you know it's, it's, it's great to watch, but go in knowing what it is, you know, it's uncut. So there's, you know, there's people coughing and there's, you know, technical problems and, you know, there's, you know, Jason just chewing the fat in the background for, you know, for a while. So, uh, but, you know, hiding in there are some real gems that didn't make it into the show. You know, there's some great interviews with uh, a lot of Apple II crackers and, uh, you know, other uh, luminaries from the time. So, um, you know, I think that, Uh, You know, he had to sort of – like with any documentary, you sort of have to tell a story. And so, a lot of stuff might be really good content, but it isn't, you know, really specifically relevant to the narrative that you're building. And so, it might get cut even though it was a terrific, you know, content. So, there's lots of that hiding in here.
2: Yep. You and uh, our guests were talking earlier, in fact, about, you know, the difference between – uh, when you were a youth and having endless amounts of time to solve infocom games and being an adult and going, I have X amount of hours to do this. So just be prepared to throw a good portion of your life away for a little while and, you know, maybe yeah. quit your job, that sort of thing. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. People occasionally, retro friends have been sending me, uh, deep links into these videos of oh, no. particular parts. No, it's great because it, like, if anyone else wants to filter these for me and find the stuff that i'd like and deep link me to them much appreciated because there is some great stuff in there uh but uh yeah it can be i mean there's a lot of watching in there it might be a good thing to have on in the background while you're doing housework or something (laughs) uh all right so what's what's happening to moss technology here mike Okay,
2: so we were just talking about Jason Scott, and he, uh, this is another post, uh, up on his fabulous ASCII.textfiles.com, which, a side note, you should be reading this. Um, if you don't, then you should stop listening to our show because you're not allowed to anymore. Um, he has written a a nice, uh, post here about the history or the, I guess, the fate of the Moz technology building. You know, this is where they designed the 6502. And there's a series of, uh, pictures, um, of sort of the sad state that it's fallen into. And it looks like the d- new, de- the building was purchased, uh, recently and the new owners are looking like they're going to have to raise the building, clean the ground up and then turn it into something else. Um, this building has sat 16 years, you know, basically open to the elements and taggers and graffiti people and, uh, vandals and all that stuff. So it's not much more than a concrete structure anyway, but um, there are a number of great photos of the site now. Uh, kind of sad to see, but you know, if you're into that sort of history, check it out.
0: Yeah, the photos are great. And uh, it it looks like they actually found some Commodore stuff in there. (laughs) Amazingly, they found some tapes and stuff like you, the building's been empty for decades, like you, which actually also surprised me, I would have thought, you know, any office space, you know, when the company goes under, they lease it to someone else, and it goes on. But no, this building apparently just sat empty for decades and uh, i'm not sure why i wonder if if they did actual chip fab in that building then it could be an environmental situation you know someone might have to do some cleanup there might be a lot of nasty chemicals or something in the soil or, or, or who knows so i wonder if that's why no one wanted no one wanted to take that on until now or something
2: um, it looks like also there uh, jason talks about this further down in the article but the, um, the purchaser of the building that was going to clean it up, you know, before demoing it um, ran into some blowback because he was having to – they were having to just throw away some of the stuff that they were finding and people found out about it and been writing him, you know, angry, how dare you stuff. And, and so now they're, they're like, they, you know, somebody put them in touch with Jason and there are at least some efforts to try and save some of this stuff before the building goes away. So
0: Yeah, whatever they can save is great. Yeah, I'm sure they got. I'm sure the developer got a lot of strongly worded emails about how the Commodore was the most successful home
2: computer of all time. Yep, and in fact, it looks like in one of those pictures there are some 6502 chip wafers. So that's pretty cool. Yes,
0: yeah, it would be cool to get those under the microscope and see see
2: see what's on them. <laughs> yep. But they've been sitting there for 20 years, basically exposed to whatever blows
0: through the building. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure they're no, no longer uh, viable. But uh, it'd be cool to see them. All right, Uh, so next up is uh, a project that we talked about a while back. Uh, Chris Zuhar is doing a homebrew computer build, uh, specifically attempting to sort of recreate the Apple III. And uh, it looks like there's a new entry in his blog on the subject.
2: Yeah, so um, he's uh, slowly moving along with this, um, and it looks like he's got a... Um, is playing around with the, uh, the 6502B, which is a three megahertz processor, although they clocked it down to, um, I think like two, 1.8 or or something like that to, to make it compatible with some of the uh, Apple II stuff. But, um, yeah, he's, he is working on it. I've been playing with the um, 6551s for the, con- the controllers um, for the floppy drive and that, and serial ports. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that we'll ever see a, a complete, you know, Apple III that he's going to homebrew, but I hope so.
0: Yeah. I'm really glad to see this project is still still underway. I think, yeah, he's definitely taking on a big challenge. Uh, you know, building a homebrew computer has plenty of challenges uh, as it is, but to take on a, a strange beast uh, like the Apple III on top of that. Uh, so more power to him. And I'm really, yeah, like I say, I'm really glad to see this is still going.
2: Yeah, everyone that, um, that Paul Hankstrom and I have interviewed about the Apple Three over on the drop three inches has talked about how much the, the level of complexity and it's, you know, orders of magnitude more so than the Apple II. And in fact, you know, was design was meant to be simple and like buy as many off the shelf parts as possible to keep the price down, things like that. And the Apple Three kind of went in the complete opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. So he, he definitely picked a, 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 a large mouthful to chew on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The Apple Three, I think, is what happens when you design by committee instead of vision. It sort of feels like they were trying to be everything to everyone. And it, well, and, and marketing committee too, yeah. not,
2: not engineers.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, trying to get a lot out of a, a limited architecture. You know, once, once you're trying to build on an 8-bit CPU, it, you pretty quickly run out of, you know, areas to expand. So when you want to compete with, you know, 16-bit machines at the time, then, yeah, you have to do some pretty crazy things. All right. Uh, well, this next article is a fun read about the Boston Computer Show in 1983. Uh, how did you find this one, Mike? Yeah, so last time we talked about uh, the Apple
2: IIe uh, turning 35 in January and the Lisa as well because they were both introduced in January of, of 83 at, at the Boston Computer Society, I think. Um, and Harry McCracken, who is a you know tech writer um, – for I think I don't know if he wrote this specifically for Fast Company. This is where I found it. Um, he's kind of you know one of uh, Benj Edwards' uh, contemporaries. They, they both write really great stuff about computer history. You should check out their articles. Uh, and at the time, Harry was a student at Boston University and was crazy about computers and technology. So when this uh, BCS show, the Apple Fest show happened, uh, he went down to check that out. There's some photos. He's got some great um, memories that, that he recalls. And there's a, even a video that I had not seen before, which is where the Apple IIe and the Lisa were presented by developers John Couch and David Larson. So pretty cool stuff there.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I guess, uh, so the, one of the reasons this is a fun read, this piece is because, uh, uh, the author talks about his recollections of that show and how sort of obviously it turns out they were all wrong. And, uh, cause, you know, video, uh, of, of the event showed up and all basically all of his memories of, of it were, were wrong. And, uh, I was, I was reminded of, uh, I think it was an article or a documentary I watched recently about uh, the story of, uh, there's this legend that the movie uh, Twister was playing on a drive in that was hit by a tornado. And uh, I think it was on, might have been on the Atlantic or something. Anyway, the story, none of it is true, but there's this huge population of people that, that, Think they were there when they were watching Twister at a drive-in when it was hit by a tornado. Ah, no funny. part of the story is true, but it's just the it's just the way our <laughs> memories work. They're they're deeply flawed things. Uh, so I'll throw that in, and then the only th- other thing I have to add to this news item is that I will forever associate the name McCracken with the Maniac Mansion and Day of the Tentacle games. So that name is ruined forever, or enhanced forever, depending on your perspective, because Maniac Mansion was fantastic.
2: Hmm.
0: Speaking of Maniac Mansion. Mm.
2: Go on. Uh, (laughs) So this next piece, uh, there's all sorts of meta callbacks and connections here going on in the show. Uh, We were talking about uh, Jimmy Meyer and the Digital Antiquarian earlier, um, and it it turns out that in uh, 1990, in in August, CompuServe hosted an online discussion of adventure game designers, uh, which included, among others, uh, Steve Moretzky of Infocom, uh, Roberta Williams, Dave Liebling, Al Lowe. Um, some names that I are—they're not immediately uh, familiar to me, but I'm sure have done some great things. Um, there was the—and uh, uh, oh, Ron Gilbert was the creator of Maniac Mansion. Um, and I guess this transcript—you um, know—everyone sort of knew that this had taken place, but the transcript had sort of disappeared, and somebody found it on the corner, a dark and dusty corner of their hard drive. And uh, Jimmy has posted it. So great, great uh, computer gaming history there.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, if anyone has not played Miniac Mansion in a while, do yourself a favor and play it again. That is that oh, is yeah. a game that holds up incredibly well. It really, like, yeah, it has a modern game design sensibility to it. It's, you know, it's actually, it's very hard to, to fail or get stuck, and it's, there's many, many different ways to solve it. It's, yeah, it's a delightful, delightful game.
2: I'm reading a quote here from Steve Moretzky about the Mind Forever Voyaging. Um, and he said that it uh, that game did worse than, commercially speaking, than any other game he's ever done. Um, but he said, I have to eat. I'd much rather write A Mind from River Voyaging than The Leather Goddesses of Phobos, but unless I become independently wealthy or unless market the marketplace place changes, I don't think I'll be doing like another game like that in the future. Sigh.
0: <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of that sort of thing in Jimmy Mars' article about Hitchhiker's Guide that like nobody wanted to do the game and nobody wanted to work with Douglas Adams, but it was yep. <laughs> such an... And nobody wanted to finish it because Douglas Adams was a jerk. And, <laughs> but it was such an obvious money factory that they just, they had to have it. And then after that, it ruined any other experimental projects because that was the standard now. Everything had to be that successful for them to green light it. And yeah, it was a strange, strange influence on the company that that game had. So yeah, the uh, the
2: transcript is long and it, it's uh, very in depth. Um, read it; it's great. And there's a lot of comments at the bottom. It looks like from from some people that may have yep Dave Gilbert um, uh, commented uh, down there. So yeah, check that out. Good stuff.
0: All right. So this next item, Mike, I saw traffic on the Kansas Fest. Uh, I think it was on the Kansas Fest mailing list about this, but I don't have any idea what this is. What what is Emen or Emen? So, Eamon was a, another series of text
2: adventure games, similar to like Scott Adams had his series and, you know, Infocom had their games and, uh, Eamon, uh, tended to be, uh, a lot cheaper. I think you could get like floppies, legal floppies of, you know, like 10 different games on, on one disc for 20 bucks. Um, and, uh, I think there were, um, maybe more than a hundred of these things eventually published and the engine and still exists today. You can still write it in Eamon adventure adventure and a couple of people have, I mean, so if you really want to do that, but as with, you know, the emulation over at the archive where it's all playable through the web. Now these um, Emon games are starting to become playable on the web as well. Um, you can go to the Eman adventurers guild online. There's a link over to the Emon remastered is what they're calling this project. There are,
0: I think, three or four that are playable now, and more definitely uh, in the future. Cool. Uh, Is there something about registering a a, a title or an ID or something? There there was traffic in the mailing list people asking how to do that. So I
2: I haven't actually played this yet. And okay, so I should be clear um, when we're talking about the Internet Archive um, and what they're doing. That's you're actually playing that software. It's it's the um, emulated software being presented through a web interface, whereas the wonderful world of Eamon is, uh, these are web pages that sort of, you know, have the same text, but you click a link that says, you know, create a new adventure rather than, you know, um, using your error keys or something mm. like that. So, okay. um, more like, um, a number of years back, you know, Bob Bishop had talked about, um, how he created web games that were, you know, designed to be solved by finding the right links and, and, Making your way through, I guess, modern, what would be the modern equivalent of hyperstacks. Um, but so when you start. When you go to the main page, you're presented with this thing that says, Welcome to even, you know, computerized fantasy role-playing system, looting dungeons, slaying dragons for fun and profit. You click the enter the main hall. You get a, a description about where you are. Um, and there's a desk that says register here or else. So when you create a new adventurer, um, then it takes you to uh, like a uh, looks like a form. Um, and then you have the option to re-roll, begin your adventure career. And I haven't gotten too far into this, and nobody wants to hear me play this online, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, but maybe there's a problem with forms or something. I'm not, or, hmm. or maybe I don't see like a an easy um, save option. Okay, maybe that's it. I don't, I'm yeah. not sure.
0: Okay, yeah, I didn't quite understand what people were talking about in those threads, but all right, fair enough. Well, we will link to that in the show notes, and people can figure it out for themselves. Speaking of figuring things out for themselves, I didn't. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, <laughs> okay. So it looks like uh, FAPL2Fest Two 2018 <laughs> It's a curious name. Uh, what's this about? The unfortunately named FAPL2Fest uh, <laughs> uh, took
2: place uh, – sorry, guys. I, I'm just kidding. Uh, this was uh, held in a small 16 by 16 room. Um, I'm having trouble not laughing because this is <laughs> getting worse and worse. Um a 16 by 16 room in the, uh, Iwa Motoko. I'm sure I butchered that, uh, neighborhood of Tokyo. There were six tables there. Um, Japanese, um, Apple II enthusiasts. Oh, that's cool. Had their own little, yeah, had their own little convention there, and Bill Martin's of Call Apple uh, went down there as well. And it uh, looks like there were only a handful of people there, but it seems like everyone had a really good time. I didn't even know this was something that was happening. So
0: yeah, um, mm-hmm.
2: you know, it's great to hear that these things are springing up everywhere, even if they can't name them properly in
0: Australia. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I like to see uh, the, the Japanese Apple II community. I hope they had some J pluses there to to show off. Uh, all right. This next item is pretty exciting uh, for 2GS people who are chronically hard uh, up for video solutions. Uh, Looks like somebody's found a $40 adapter that will just work uh, to show your (coughs) 2GS video on HDMI. This seems wow. too good to be true. <laughs> hmm. So it's technically a SCART to HDMI adapter, but uh, you know, hiding in SCART there is an RGB signal a 15 kilohertz RGB. So yeah, there's screenshots of there pictures of this uh, working, and uh, it looks pretty impressive. I have to say. Um, they have a link to the monitor that you can buy over on Amazon.
2: Uh, it's it's seventy bucks. I know that those those what were they the owl. The security
0: monitor. Well, yeah. So this thing is just an HDMI monitor. So oh, okay. this is just like, hey, here's the monitor I'm using. But the signal out of this box, the the, the the this blog post kind of buries the lead. If you go down one post, that's kind of where the good news is. Oh, there uh, is okay. Down one post, there's a, a this little box that uh, that this person has bought, and yeah, they're just demoing it on a particular small HDMI monitor. But uh, Uh, Yeah, it's just a generic, like one of these sort of eBay-style video converters that there are a million of, but this one seems to do a really good job of rendering 2GS video, so uh, I am very surprised by this. Yeah, if those pictures are real, yeah, those are, those are very clear. Uh, you, yeah, you never.
2: I mean, without buying, you know, one of the one of the new devices that, that has come out recently, um, you know, you, if you, you can't just plug your two Gs into pretty much anything and get a yeah. good signal out of it. Um, so these are pretty amazing. This this little box is available on uh, Amazon for thirty seven bucks. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's really as good as it looks, I mean, yeah, their border colors are working. The, uh, 80 column text looks perfect. Uh, yeah. The only thing I would wonder, I guess two things I would wonder about is if, uh, if the video timing is messed up at all, like I wonder if, you know, border effects and FTA demos would work. And I wonder if there's any, uh, delay. Sometimes these things will introduce, you know, 10 or 50 milliseconds of delay, and that can be enough to mess up gaming or make games feel weird. Yeah, sure, so yeah. it would be interesting to see uh, if if those are issues. But yeah, there's pictures of the Finder desktop in 640 mode. It's surprisingly very clear and legible. So uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive. I guess I'd want to see it in person. But uh, uh, yeah, I hope someone tr- brings one of these to K KFest. Maybe we can check it out.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, if somebody out there wants to spend the 40 bucks or so to, to test this and let us know how it works, I'd love to hear
0: yeah, I would do it myself if I had my physical GS here. I do not at present, but uh, yeah, uh, acquiring minds want to know if this thing is as good as it looks. Uh, all right, from the last two uh, Apple II to the first, uh, we've got uh, looks like a Verilog implementation of the Apple one. Uh, what's this about, Mike?
2: Yeah, so you know, last time last month we talked about um, the um, what was it, the VHDL? Is that, yep. is that Even the right term? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, we so talked about a. So that's a that's a
0: different. So there's two different hardware <laughs> description languages. There's VHDL and Verilog. One is sort okay. of its own thing. Verilog is kind of C-like, and VHDL yeah. is kind of its own weird syntax. Uh, VHDL is kind of the older one. Verilog is sort of the proprietary one, or sort of semi-proprietary, and then VHDL is kind of the open source one that they teach you in school. Gotcha.
2: Okay. So, yeah, last month we talked about the VHDL, a VHDL uh, implementation of the Apple One. And this is the Verilog version. uh, Alan Garfield uh, put together one of these things. Uh, Looks like it's running completely in Verilog. uh, Runs, successfully runs both the WAS monitor and integer basic font and color support have been added, which Obviously, those are not things where you could do mess with in the real Apple one, um, but there's a nice blog post over uh, at CallApple by Bill Martins. Um, check that out. Oh, and you can even download the, co- the code at uh, GitHub. Excellent.
0: Yeah, generally speaking, whichever FPGA you buy, it'll have like a VHDL-based tool chain or a Verilog-based one. Ah, and, gotcha. uh okay. Uh, it is very much a holy war. Which one is better? Uh, <laughs> okay. You thought the DOS versus ProDOS flame war was funny on uh, on uh, Facebook the other day. Uh, yeah, go go into some hardware design forums and yeah, start uh, what, read the threads on Verilog versus VHDL. You will be there a while. All right, so uh, speaking of custom hardware, uh, I guess, uh, there's an FPGA involved. The, uh, yeah, the, the long-awaited CFFA 3000 run number five. Uh, I hope that everyone who wanted one got one because they are sold out already. We didn't even have time to talk about this.
2: Well, I'm not sure. Um hmm. I think I think the fifth. So there were fifty limited edition red ones that yes. were pre-orders, and yeah. those sold out. Oh,
0: those are sold out. Okay. Yeah,
2: I'm looking at at Rich's webpage right now, and as of yesterday, the third of March, there are currently still 341 boards available. Ah, today.
0: okay, okay, that's good. So
2: yeah, I still, I, I definitely still wouldn't waste your time getting one of these if you yeah. want one because they won't last that much longer. No. But and by, I'm sure by the time I finally get around to editing and publishing this thing, they will be <laughs> long gone. Yeah. Uh, so Quinn, have you have you did you go ahead and,
0: and take the dive and buy one of these things. I think I may have the first one. Uh, oh. So he's <laughs> so he's, yes, you did. So yeah, so he said he was opening pre-orders on such and such a day at noon uh, my time, and so at noon on uh, on that day, I was it was a Saturday. I was sitting at my laptop hitting refresh on <laughs> his site, and awesome at like uh, 1205 uh, uh-huh. his store interface changed from the home of such and such products to an actual store where you could click on products and i uh, the CFFA 3000 appeared first like i i think he was literally like editing the, the store contents uh, <laughs> as i was hitting refresh cuz i saw the CFFA 3000 appear and I bought it, and then I hit refresh again, and the remote was there, and so I bought it. And then I hit refresh again, and the limited edition one appeared. I didn't (laughs) buy that. And then, yeah, I submitted all my PayPal things. So, uh, yeah, I I may have gotten the very first one, or at least it was certainly in the top 10. Um, So, yeah, that's pretty exciting. I will finally be the proud owner of one of these things uh, at normal retail prices, Uh, and I was one of the early ones who i guess he had initially set up the shipping uh to be local pickup by default and a lot of people myself included didn't notice that and so we didn't uh, have the right shipping information so he helpfully sent out a bunch of emails explaining that situation and uh, uh, so that was all stores that was all straightened out but uh, there was a bit of excitement there so yeah if i'm not mistaken this run is a thousand boards is that right
2: uh, I thought it was 500 boards 500 okay uh, yeah plus the 50 limited editions um uh, it looks like yeah so um, there were a bunch he made like six, six i'm sorry he made like six or seven hundred of the remote switches mm, okay uh, but I think those are probably easier to get parts for and things like that yeah um,
0: yeah there's a lot yeah, of people I, who I, might want those who bought a board previously
2: oh no wait. okay so i'm I'm, I'm sorry I'm wrong you're, you're right it's it's like a thousand. Total, the first 500 are available to buy, is what's going on, because he, those have come back from the assembler. Ah, I see, okay. So he's still waiting on the rest of them.
0: Okay, that's impressive, though, that, I mean, it, it's only been a week or two since he opened pre-orders, and uh, yeah, 700 of them sold out, Sold already, that's pretty, pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, um, down a little bit further in the product in, uh, introduction, I, I don't know how old that particular paragraph is, but he'd said, uh, he's, he built and sold about 5,000 CFFA cards in 11 batches. And I don't know if that includes what he's doing now or if this is an addition to that. So these are very popular items. And I gotta say, of all the, like, um, new, you know, air quotes, new, uh, hardware that you could buy for your old Apple II, um, in other words, stuff that's come out, I don't know, since the turn of the century or so. This I think is probably one of the most useful items. Yeah. You know, just as far as the different functionality and, and how easy it is to do a lot of stuff that yeah. you used to have
0: to buy extra hardware for. Yeah, and it's such a, a refined design. He's made improvements over to it over the years and you know, things like the remote and the USB input and you know, yeah, it's just it really just does everything that that you want out of a device like this. Uh, you know, and support for the full range of Apple Twos and even the Apple Three, uh, it's it's hard to hard to compete. And I think he said, I don't know if this is true, but I thought he had said this was going to be the last run. Is that?
2: Do you know if that's true? Uh, I think that's that's what I'd heard as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, if they if they sell out immediately um, or very quickly, that may be motivation further down the line. But you know, yeah. I think it's hard sometimes to get parts for these older computers you know and and that that's a challenge for you know small batch electronics developers and so i don't know if that's going to be an interference in the future or not
0: yeah and you know they talked about this on rcr recently too that it's a huge financial outlay for him uh he, he posted about this in his on his blog a little bit that if you do the math you know he's putting out six figures of his own money ahead of time to build these boards so he's just sort of gambling that they're all going to sell. And if you don't, if, you know, even if lots of them sell, but you're still stuck with 200 of them, you know, what on earth do you do with 200 of these things? And that's a lot of money that you've just sort of <laughs> It's just going to eat into the profit that you may have gotten from selling the first few hundred. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't fault Pack them at all. For, yeah. I, I don't fault them at all. If he stops making them, cause, uh, that's a huge risk to, to step out and take. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's amazingly, the demand is clearly still there. So be interesting to see.
2: All valid reasons to get yours as soon as possible.
0: Yeah. We always say when these things come up, you got to buy them because nobody's getting rich making these things. And so it's a hobby for people. They're not, they're not going to keep doing it. There's still a bunch of devices that I
2: regret not buying from the shooter radio when they're being made.
0: Yeah, yeah, and his health hasn't been so good. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you really desperately need something, if you email him, sometimes he'll make one for you. But uh, I feel a little guilty <laughs> doing that if yeah, he's not I feel well. A bad
2: about that. Come on, <laughs> yeah. I need this for my Apple II, and meanwhile he's like, Dying.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's a <laughs> okay, good sport. Okay, then get
2: my soldering iron out. For you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Let yeah. me spit blood into this bag, and then I will put it together. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know he's a good sport. But I think I think Plamen has largely filled the filled the role that uh, that Nishida Radio used to fill. You know, he's making a lot of the same devices, and, and Plamen has been amazing at making stuff available. Uh, you can pretty much always go and buy all his stuff whenever you want. It's pretty pretty great. All right, uh, moving along, I got big news from David Schmink about Plasma. Yeah,
2: so uh, Plasma was a language uh, that um, David actually introduced a number of years ago at Kansas Fest. It was a free download, but it was um, in beta, and he was constantly updating it and working on it. Um, and now we've reached the 1.0 final. Thing, I guess, um, that you can download. The version, it's, uh, it's compatible with the Apple 1, Apple 2, II, Apple 3. It has 65.802 and 65.816 support. Um, I don't know much about this language itself. Quinn, have you played with Plasma?
0: I haven't played with it yet, but I'm a little bit familiar with it. So it's it's kind of a high level, high ish level uh, modern language. Uh, so it's sort of like a little higher level than assembly. I, I guess I would liken it to something like Fourth in that it's. A high-level language in that it's sort of easy to read and write, uh, but it's also very efficient and small and close to the metal. It doesn't need, you know, a compiler. It's interpreted, if I'm not mistaken, and it doesn't need, you know, it doesn't need a lot of infrastructure around it. Uh, and it's so so compact and so efficient that it's uh, it's actually the scripting language that they're using for missions and other things in Lawless Legends. So uh, I believe it sits, it even will sit in aux memory and, you know, not take up a lot of space, but allows you to do uh, a lot of high level scripting types of, of things in a, in a very easy way, much easier than writing a bunch of uh, assembly language. So I think uh, I think it's very uh, a very powerful and useful thing uh, in, just, uh, in just the right application. So I will definitely be playing with this at some point. Yeah, me too. Uh, all right. So looks like, you know, uh, last month, actually, I think we uh, badmouthed Apple Win a little bit. <laughs> at least I did. Uh, I think I made fun of its mouth support. Um, but it has been updated, so that's good news. Uh, what's uh, What's fixed here, Mike? It looks like I don't yeah. see anything about mouse support in the release <laughs> notes. No,
2: no. I think this is mostly, uh,
0: you know, behind the
2: scenes sort of administrative stuff that that's going on, uh, bug fixes and that sort of thing. It's been updated as of February third to version one point twenty seven point zero zero um and it, let's see improved logging no uh, new no print sc- print screen key switch to prevent the print screen key from being registered swapping disks while a drive is on will now warn you if you still want to do this instead of just failing um updated the Z- zlib to the latest version and it looks like they made a change to the uh, speaker output sample so cool and then some other stuff with like uh, full screen uh, issues that they were working on, uh, just two hard drive changes, just two and hard drive changes. Some peripheral cards have been updated. Uh, oh, well, there's something about, uh, they fixed a, a problem. They bug fixed a thing with a mouse card that, that oh. caused a crash to monitor. So there, there's sort of a mouse thing there for you. Um, the mocking board support, mocking board and phaser support, uh, now support in the inactive function, just like the real hardware. So a lot of little stuff that probably, uh, overall, will result in what feels like a better experience, but you're not going to see you know huge changes in the in the interface or anything like that.
0: Well, that's great though. I'm really glad to see it's still being updated. You know, uh, a lot of times the software with a small audience just sort of languishes and never gets updated. And uh, you know this stuff, you have to keep it updated as Windows and Mac OS change. You know you have to be constantly updating these apps to keep them compatible. and things like like full screen mode is a good example on both Windows and Mac. Like that's a feature that always breaks. Every time there's an update, you have to change the way you do full screen stuff. and so they uh, you know it's great that they're updating that. And I poked a little fun at it, but uh, it's infinitely better than uh, my Apple emulator, which does not exist because I've never written one. So <laughs> there you go. I don't get to complain.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. This is um, this is you know we talk about um, we talk a lot about virtual too because you and I I think tend to spend most of our time on the Mac platform. But um, if you have a Windows machine,
0: this is pretty much the premier 8-bit Apple emulator for Windows. Yep, I think so. Yeah, it would definitely be my choice if I was a Windows person, which thank was I am not. (laughs) All right. With that flame war rekindled, uh, let's move (laughs) on to the basic 10-liner contest is underway once again.
2: Yeah, so this is, I guess, an ongoing or annual contest. Um, The coolest... uh, Program that you can write in 10 lines of BASIC doesn't matter if you're your what version of BASIC or what machine you're using, which is pretty awesome. So we can show those Atari idiots how how much better we are than our BASIC is than theirs. Um, it looks like the top half of this page is written in German, but if you scroll down, it's been translated over to English. It has all the rules there. Uh, legal systems are all 8 bit computer systems. Um, so have at it.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I like I like these contests, and I like that they're still going because it's such a throwback to the old magazine articles. I always love the one liners and two liners that uh, you know the Beagle Brothers would have in their ads and that kind of thing. Uh, I do always feel like the Apple II is at a pretty substantial. Disadvantage in these uh, these types of uh, yeah. broad retro computing contests because, of course, we don't have any uh, fancy sprite hardware or sound hardware uh, to use. That uh, yeah, I feel like you're always going to get more out of ten lines of BASIC on a C64 or an Atari 800 than than you will on a humble Apple II, even a 2GS. You know, there was no interface to 2GS stuff uh, right. in AppleSoft, so uh, you were stuck with uh, maybe some peeks and pokes to try and do something, but. Uh, you know, I love that people do this anyway.
2: Yeah, me too. And, and, you know, part of the Applesoft problem, especially with the 2GS, was that it was, you know, the Microsoft license. And um, I think probably to improve Applesoft, they would have had to engage Microsoft to do that. And I'm imagining Microsoft had better things to do at the time. Yeah. Uh, so the 2GS just got stuck with the same old Applesoft that all the others did. Uh, this... Contest has been going on now. This is the seventh round. I don't know if it's an annual thing or if it happens more than once a year. Uh, last time, um, they've had what, 246 contributions. Um, and um, uh, the deadline to, uh, to submit your entry is a Saturday, March 24th. Uh, at 6 p.m. CET and there will be the award ceremony on April 7th at the No Ma'am in <laughs> Lubeck. I'm sure that that's not pronounced properly, but it was just fun because that reminds me of that that uh, organization, unmarried with children, that Al Bundy ran. Oh yeah. yes, that's right. There's a throwback, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> what an awful, awful, awful thing that was. <laughs> I love that
0: show. Yeah, it was. It was awful in the best possible way. It <laughs> right. was, it was <laughs> very self-awarely awful, which I think was yeah. the whole point.
2: It was. Al- it was always great to, to see um, Marcy just roast them yeah. for their stupidity.
0: Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, not to discourage anyone from participating in this contest on an Apple II, You know, uh, our guest actually, Kevin Savitz, is a, a free frequent participator in these basic contests and one of his re- uh, entries from a previous year was he wanted to know if it's possible to write a fully playable text adventure in uh, 10 lines of basic and uh, and so he did and uh, has i think it had like two verbs and three rooms and two items or something it was you know obviously tiny uh, <laughs> but it was a fully playable solvable text adventure uh, in 10 lines of BASIC. so that i mean certainly that could be done on an apple II. there was no f- you know No crutch of Sprite hardware or anything there. So uh, don't uh, let people's uh, imaginations be limited by the competition. Indeed. All right. So next up, uh, everyone's favorite Apple IIc fanatic, Javier Rivera, uh, is talking about the Wi-Fi, the Wi-Modem 232, which is a highly coveted device in all retro circles, not just Apple II. And it looks like there's a, there's a new version with a really nice little OLED screen on it. And uh, yeah, he's got a demo of it here on the 2C Plus. So uh, that's nice to see.
2: Yeah, I thought that you were everyone's favorite 2C user. <laughs> uh, I,
0: well, I, I don't know. I think Javier <laughs> is better looking. So I think he, oh, okay. he gets uh, he gets more of the credit there. Yeah, he he started out he starts
2: out the little article that he wrote um saying that you know as soon as I saw that this was available to buy I went out and rushed right out and bought one and it's a good thing he did too because they're now again out of stock. Um it looks like they were originally selling for 149.95 and the price had been cut to 54.95 so oh. and as popular as I've seen like I see like Twitter threads about like oh I got to get one of these things. Um, so yeah, this is another example I think of you know what you see with the CFFA card. Yeah, yeah. get it when you can because you for don't sure. know if there's going to be more of these available.
0: Yeah, and the tough thing about this device is you're competing with the entire retro com- computing yeah. community because Commodore users are all also lining up for this thing. Atari users, you know, TI, like everybody wants this thing because it's just RS thirty two. You know, it's a bridge from RS thirty two serial. RS-232 serial to Wi-Fi, and it just behaves exactly like, you know, uh, an AT command set Hayes modem, which is what everybody wants. It's the the solution. So, uh, yeah, that's a highly coveted device for sure. You know, it's funny, there was a conversation on RCR uh, recently that we kind of continued uh, in the upcoming show, and this, sort of the idea that the, the retro market is too small for anyone to make, you know, any kind of money on – but I think you know there are little niches where you can make a little bit of money, and I think you know this Wi-Fi to to, to modem bridge is a great example of that, where it's a a really elegant solution to a, a common problem, uh, and it's one that lots and lots of people uh, want. So I think you know there could be some actual money made on a device like that.
2: Yeah, uh, I th- I believe one of the last interviews that. Uh- that we did when Ken was still on the show was with uh, Henry Corbis of um, Ultimate Micro and things, and and I recall him saying that basically he was able to make I don't I don't know if he made a complete living off of the Apple II stuff that he was selling, but he made a, a nice income every month from that stuff. So you know by making the stuff that people are willing to to buy and being smart about how you manufacture it it seems like yeah you could actually make some cash doing this
0: yeah henry's yeah he's still at it and uh, he's yeah he's being smart about it he's yeah taking on things like the transwarp where you know that's a car that is in extremely high demand and reproducing it has proven you know incre- incre- incredibly elusive uh so you know if if you're willing to come in and solve that problem there's there's definitely money to be made for sure Uh, all right. Moving right along. Uh, so this is a random news item I threw in. Uh, it's called Sneakers on Boing Boing. And, uh, the item here is that Sneakers was on Boing Boing. And that is it. (laughs) Uh, the entire blog post. So Boing Boing, if you're not familiar, is a popular pop culture blog that I like. And, uh, there was a post, uh, and the title of the post is Sneakers was an extremely popular Apple II game. And there is a screenshot. And that is the entire article. (laughs) And then the thread comment thread, of course, fills up with people excited about sneakers and sharing other stories of Apple II games. Uh, But I just love it when Apple II stuff appears in mainstream sources. And, uh, yeah, this was just totally random in my RSS feed. There's a screenshot of sneakers, and it was a great game. (laughs) So... Uh...
2: I will say that I was a little bit disappointed when I saw that. I when I when I saw it pop up on our spreadsheet, I was very excited because I thought we were talking about the 1992 movie sneakers.
0: Oh yes, there was
2: some Apple II connection that I hadn't seen before. Mm. But you break my heart.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny that came up in the comment thread. People who weren't <laughs> familiar with Apple II stuff were like, "Oh, is this somehow related to the 80s movie right. of the same name?" And there was a lot of confusion about that exact point. And yeah, nope, it uh, nope, it was just a. <laughs> Coincidence, it's just a game called Sneakers. Yeah, there was two things in the eighties called Sneakers, and they were not at all related. Uh, all right, so that uh, that that was that. Um, so <laughs> next item here is a bit of an older one. It's from January, but I thought I'd share it anyway because it uh, hasn't uh, come up on the show here yet. Uh, so, Blake Patterson uh, over at the Bite Seller often posts uh, Apple II stuff, and I guess the uh, the subreddit Retro Battle Stations, uh, which is sort of. Catch-all uh, subreddit for retro stuff they run contests and themes and various things and one of the themes that they ran was uh, what they called wedge week and so it was for you to post photos of your favorite wedge and apparently this is this is a term i hadn't really heard before uh, for wedge shaped computers uh, like the oh, commodore 64 or the vic 20 or the amiga 500 you know computers that were an all-in-one sort of wedge shape and uh Apparently the Apple IIc is considered to be in that family. Uh, It's a a wedge, I guess. So (laughs) I never really thought of it that way, but I guess in a certain light, it could be seen as a wedge, I guess. So anyway... (laughs) <laughs> uh, Blake shares a photo of his uh, Apple TV, which lives on his bedside table and uh, he actually sort of sort of kind of uses it for stuff uh, occasionally so there's kind of a nice uh, write up there but he's got a bunch of modern stuff you know in it he's got a, a y modem and uh, uh, some other sort of modern amenities to make it uh, somewhat moderately useful and uh, yeah it's uh, a nice little little blurb about it
2: huh. yeah I don't, like you I, that's not that's not a term that I ever would have associated with computers, but
0: yeah, sure, okay. Yeah, like I can see it for the like the Amiga 500 or the Commodore 128; those are certainly wedges. Uh The C64 and VIC20 are were called bread boxes. That seems a little more apt. Yeah, I don't know this wedge thing. I feel like this is a this is some retconning happening. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Just trying to cash in. That's right. I'm calling alternate history on this. <laughs> so, um. Alright, and this last item I uh I shoehorned in here. Uh I actually stole yeah. this from the uh uh RCR notes, the retrocomputing round table, which <laughs> we we recorded just before this. Actually, it's been a long day of uh, speaking into a microphone. And uh Sell out. yeah, it didn't come out it didn't come up in the RCR, but it was in their show notes, so I stole it. So uh-huh. finally, Mike, after years we get to scoop <laughs> them. Just once. Yes. <laughs> Uh so it's a very it's kind of a funny little aside uh the, there's a very breathless headline on reddit uh that the source code to the uh Apple 2GS game Rastan has been discovered. I guess uh some dude had a hard uh, had a compact flash adapter in his 2GS and and found it in a friend's basement or something and there was a folder named Rastan that had source code in it. Uh, and it's all very breathless and from people who obviously aren't in the Apple II community. So they don't know kind of the state of things. Uh, and, uh, Antoine Fignon jumps into the thread and and he says, and provides a link to the rest and source code, which has been online for years. Uh, so uh, yeah. it's sort of a cute, uh, sort of Aww. discovery moment for some some uh, folks who didn't know that retro computing is is a thing uh but i would share i thought i'd share it here anyway and um yeah i thought it, it was just sort of cute because i'm sure john brooks uh friend of the show has the source code and would happily give it to you if you wanted to see it <laughs> so yeah uh, yeah anyway uh it's a cute read uh so thought i'd share it
2: well and even uh, antoine our friend antoine uh Pitches in at the very last here to to encourage him. You know, don't don't trust the dates and check the binary anyway because it might be something different. Yeah. The versions might be a little bit different. There might yeah. be three characters different. We want that too. So. Yeah, you never know. That's right. it,
0: don't feel bad. Yeah, I think there might be a story there. Like, I would be interested to know how some you know internet rando's computer ended up with the Rastan source code on it. Like, that, yeah. it, you know, there might be an interesting story in how that how how that got there. Uh, so unless it, you know, maybe it found its way to a BBS some way, or, or maybe this other person had just been on modern websites at some point, cause he had a compact flash device in his two GS. So maybe he just, uh, had found it on, on, uh, on the web or something, Sure, but who knows? Anyway, maybe a story, maybe not, but, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that's all that we have for news items, if I'm not mistaken. Nope. But we have woos. Oh, it's been a while since we had some woos. Indeed. Hit that music. We like woz, and we know you do too. It's woz news. It's wooz. All right, Mike. This right, segment's so since, your baby, so go ahead. Yeah, I know.
2: I know that you just hate this so much, just because <laughs> it's called wooz. Um, and um, but we do have some uh, woz news items. The first is that uh, uh, the uh, Science uh, Channel. Um, is putting together a documentary on Silicon Valley, the un- untold story. And apparently a large portion of that will feature uh, jobs and was, and maybe they'll get some of it accurate. I hope fingers crossed. Anyway, there's a, an article over at real screen, Sque- real real Squeen, real <laughs> screen that uh, talks a little bit about uh, what it's going to be like. And uh, it's going to be a three part series uh, telling the broader, mostly untold story of the Valley um, it includes interviews with Y Combinator, Founders Paul Graham and Jessica Livingston, Kyle Vogt, whose four-person self-driving car startup was bought by General Motors for a billion dollars. Intel co-founder Gordon Moore, uh, many others, uh, again, including our um, our own favorites, was and jobs. So check that out. It will be uh it uh it premiered on January twenty-eighth at eight, nine and ten on the science channel. Um, but I'm sure that you know, being one of those more obscure uh uh Cable channels it, it replayed it over and over and over again, and if not, there are other places you can find it. So. Yeah,
0: uh, at the risk of being cynical, I feel like the Silicon Valley story is pretty thoroughly told. Yeah, uh, I'm, I I'm right there. I feel like it. that moniker, the Untold Story, is a little <laughs> disingenuous. I feel like tech company history is one of the m- most self-examined and self-congratulatory <laughs> things that we have in human history. I, I feel like you don't you can't throw a rock without hitting. Some biography of everyone who was involved, but anyway, <laughs> coincidentally, rich white men. Yes. <laughs> hey, but hey, there's one more thing with was in it, so that's that's, that's right. never a bad thing.
2: Yeah. Yep, that's true. Okay, next up, um, the. <laughs> The uh, Nestle versus Atari lawsuit over the breakout game has finally been settled. I know that you'll all sleep better at night knowing that.
0: (laughs) I didn't know Um, there was a lawsuit about that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Kevin and I actually talked about this when I was on that Atari podcast uh, that I forget the name of Mm. um, a
0: few months back. What's that? Frantic, manic, Um, something. uh, Yeah, yeah, uh, bipolar, I don't (laughs) know. Uh,
2: Anyway, there was a a lawsuit between Atari and Nestle about – the use of uh, the – so I guess Nestle used video of Waz's breakout game uh, that he'd written for Atari um, in a commercial to sell Kit Kat bars. Atari being what they are these days, decided we're going to make some money off of that and sued. And that's now been settled. And again, the te- the connection for us is very tenuous other than that, you know, the, there's that whole story, you know, where – Atari told Steve Jobs to write a game, we'll pay you X amount of dollars, 1500 or something like that. Uh, Jobs turned around, went to Woz and said they're going to pay me 300 bucks. To and uh, and Woz came up, you know, with a cartridge of the game and all that. And, um, but yeah, other than that,
0: not much to do with Apple. So, let me get this straight. The dead husk of Atari <laughs> sued Nestle over something that happened 30 years ago. Uh, well,
2: using footage of something that happened, yes.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, so it's a current commercial. Yes. Yeah. You, you uh, used our commercial to, uh, of
2: Breakout – or you used our uh, – Okay. The footage of our game Breakout to sell your Kit Kat bars, and we're angry about that. we got to shake our fists at you. Yeah. Okay.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. And uh, I am frankly amazed that Woz and Jobs remained friends after that incident where he lied about that money. That's yeah. astonishing to me that the- – yeah.
2: Yeah, you read some of those you read back some of those stories over the years between the two of them and and there are a number of times where you kind of go like what what at what point was this not going to be enough for you? Yeah. <laughs> cuz there was definitely somebody taking advantage of somebody else for
0: most yeah. of that relationship. He was a heck of a good friend, I'll say that cuz yeah, he put up with a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and does it still doesn't seem mad about it today. No. Yeah, I mean I mean I guess he, you know, he made a billion dollars out of the whole thing, so that's not yeah. it's not all bad, but um <laughs> Yeah, in the Apple IIe uh, uh, interview that you played uh, during our last episode, uh, Jobs goes on and on about how he and Waz created the Apple II. Right. And <laughs> yeah. I was like,
2: mm. no. <laughs> I feel
0: like that's a generous description of what happened there. <laughs> right.
2: You went and found some people to build a case for you. Yeah.
0: For <laughs> yeah, you kind of stood around and went to trade shows, and Waz made a computer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway, you had a, a hip beard and, and stood over it in photos. Yeah, uh,
2: this is this is not really Apple too connected, so I didn't I didn't uh, put it in our show notes. But there's a funny anecdote. So there's it uh, there was an article that I found, and I'll have the link for the show notes. But where it talks about uh, that uh, fruit growing commune that Jobs was part of for a while before he you know. Came up with their Came up with Apple. See, even I do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and they were talking to one of the founders who's st- still around today. And Jobs, I guess, wired the camp up for electricity. And you know, they impressed everyone with his electronic knowledge. And that always reminds me of that that quote. You know, where um, Jobs goes. Woz was the only person that knew more about electronics than me. And Woz (laughs) goes, Steve didn't know anything about electronics. (laughs) Yes, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, Anyway, to wrap up our Woos segment, uh, a number of months ago or maybe years now, we talked about um, this uh, startup – uh, that had formed and they'd hired Was to be their chief scientist, which I'm sure was mostly kind of a for, a formality or, or um, symbolic title rather than anything, but that company burned through hundred million dollars and went
0: bust. So it was called primary data
2: incorporated.
0: Yeah, that is, I would really like to know what happened there because <laughs> I've worked for a lot of tech startups and it's pretty hard to burn through hundred million dollars without something to show for it. Uh, I mean, the current, Tech startup that I work for now uh we we've never gotten anywhere close to that amount of funding and we've been running for five years and we're actually uh profitable so I don't know uh and it and we're actually we also in uh, big data so same industry and everything <laughs> so I'm pretty uh there's a story there I don't know yeah a hundred million dollars that is a lot of series A financing to just vanish so
2: mm. Yeah, throwback to the good old days before the uh, the, the dot-com bubble burst in yeah. the late 90s, early 2000s is what that sounds like.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. That's a tech startup with insufficient adult supervision, uh, <laughs> as, right. as we say in the business. <laughs> we we
2: have no business plan, but look at this cool pinball machine we just paid $10,000 for. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah, all right.
2: All right, so that's the end of Woos. Do we have any feedback this month, Quinn? Uh, I actually do not have any feedback. Do you?
0: I got nothing. No, people right. are just
2: ignoring us. So that's pretty, <laughs> yeah. uh, pretty awesome.
0: Our recording schedule has been a little spotty. So that's, uh, it has, it has.
2: It has. It We're trying to, to improve territory. it though. And that's all on, that's all my fault. So. <laughs> but you can go ahead and send an angry email to Quinn if you like. I'm Sure. With that.
0: Yeah, sure. no, I can take it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Yep>. <laughs> all right, everyone. Well, um, thank you for listening and tuning in again. We are on Patreon mm. and any amount that you would like to contribute helps us out to cover bandwidth and storage for the files. Um, yeah, obviously you don't we don't have special stuff if you do contribute other than just you get to feel good for helping us out and we will love you forever and ever um, thank you uh to Carrington and the other guy that does Atari stuff we like you guys uh sort of um, for coming on the
0: show yeah it's uh it great to talk to you guys and uh, yeah we will see everybody uh, next month all right everyone bye
4: You are in a forest. There is quicksand to the west. A path leads to the east. Go east. An iron gate blocks your way. Open gate. It's locked. Hmm. Well, so much for that. Getting pretty late, how come you're still up? I found an emulator online that lets you play classic text-based computer games from the 1980s. That's pretty cool. Oh yes. It runs on the world's most powerful graphics chip, imagination. You've really got to get out more. Go north. You can't go that way. Go west. A troll blocks your passage. Okay, fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> Kill troll. With what? With sword. You don't have the sword. Good golly, it's as if it's actually happening to me.
2: Raj finally went to bed. Yeah. Um.
4: Sheldon's still up. You said he goes to bed in- yeah, he does, but he got caught up in a computer game. Hit troll with axe. Hit troll with axe. Hit troll with axe. Oh my, this <sighs> one tough troll. Can't you get rid of him? If the past is any indication, no. Leonard, I'm trapped in quicksand. The axe is dragging me down. Drop axe. Drop axe. Brilliant. <laughs> Give me a minute. Sheldon. Hold on. I need to figure out how to get the bucket so I can carry the mud past the dragon. (laughs) Sheldon, you need to work in the morning. I know. Well then bed, mister. Five more minutes. (laughs) Really? You're gonna risk getting sleepy in the middle of your thermodynamic fluctuation seminar? You know what happens when you yawn in public? Everyone will see my oddly-shaped uvula. You don't want that, do you? No. But it's a shame our society mocks the differently uvulated. (laughs) Who was at the door? Uh, building manager. Uh, They have to fix a pipe, so the water will be off tomorrow from noon to two. That's unacceptable. We're supposed to be given written notice. No, no, it doesn't matter. We'll be at work. What if I spill tomato soup on my shirt and have to come home to change only to find there's no water for an enzyme soak? Bye for Tate and Ugula, Sheldon. I'll have the chicken noodle. Good night. <laughs> okay, we're gonna have to be very quiet. I know how to get the bucket! I can turn the axe around and use the <laughs> handle to reach it. See. <laughs> North, you are in a forest. Go north, you are in a forest. Go north, you are in a forest. Oh, dear, I believe I'm lost. Well, I'll just have to get a fresh start tomorrow. No, 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 no. you just just need to map it out. Come on, I'll help you. So, uh, you stopped at this stream and you turned north three times? Yes. Uh, You're right, you're lost, good luck. (laughs)
1: been the open apple podcast subscribe to us in itunes or visit us at open-apple.net where you can browse our extensive catalogue of past episodes or read our blog if you like what you've heard today or even if you didn't your
0: comments questions or ideas are always welcome send them to feedback at open-apple.net